Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Zat Hashem, this week's Paisha is Paishat Va'era. We continue this exciting story of Yetziat Mitzrayim, of the Exodus, leading up to the redemption. We're going to talk today about a very interesting part of the storyline that gives us a rule, or gives us two, two rules, really, two instructions that have to do with giving direction. I think it's a very important point about giving direction. Now, before we begin, I just want to give a quick background. Would you ever prefer to go in there? I'm happy to go in there if you prefer. Here is fine? Everybody's good? Okay. The end of Shemot. Let's just get the story. Kadosh Baruch Hu sent Moshe Rabbeinu in Shemot by the Sneh, by the burning bush. You are going to redeem the Jewish people. So Moshe refuses. Finally, after seven days, Moshe concedes. He says, fine, I'll go. And he goes. He gets to Mitzrayim. Now what was supposed to happen was, he was supposed to talk to the Zikinim, the elders of the Jewish people. They were supposed to follow after him, and he would go into the house of Paro and tell Paro, this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said about the Jewish people. He approached the house of Paro, and as he approached, the Zikinim slowly slipped away. They were scared. So Moshe and Aaron went in by themselves. And when he presents his argument that the Jews should be allowed to believe, Paro says, who is this God? I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not interested. And then, not only does Paro not make it easier, but what he ends up doing is, he makes the work quota and labor of the Jewish people even harder. So the Jews complain to Paro, and at the end of the parasha, they complain to Moshe, and they say, which Rashi learns is Datan and Aviram, actually, you're making it worse for us, you think you're the Redeemer, you're just making things even more challenging. That's, that's where we left off in Shemot. So we leave off in, uh, at Shemot and uh, Moshe comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the very end of Shemot and he says, why did you send me? Look what happened now. You sent me and not only did I not ease their suffering, did I, not only did I not make it easier for them, but actually now it's even worse for the Jewish people. So he says, you, want, you sure you don't want to go in there? I don't mind going in there. It's a little bit... Uh, background. We're good? Okay. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to Moshe Rabbeinu and he gives a whole speech about the difference between Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and Moshe. And then finally, listen to how he instructs Moshe. Moshe says, the Jews are not going to listen to me. If Paro, Paro's, the Jews didn't listen to me, how will Paro listen to me? I'm, I'm Aral Sifatayim. Aral Sifatayim means I have a speech impediment. I can't speak properly. Paro's not going to listen to me. So the Pasuk says, this is Perik Vav Pasuk Yid Gimel. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aharon, and he commanded them regarding Bnei Yisrael, Ve'el Paro Melech Mitzrayim, and regarding Paro, the king of Mitzrayim, Lehotziyat Bnei Yisrael Me'aretz Mitzrayim, to remove the Jewish people from Egypt. So what does the Pasuk say? Hashem commanded Moshe regarding the Jewish people and regarding Paro, but it doesn't say what he commanded them. Right? It just says he commanded them. So what did he command them? Rashi has two pshatim. 
But Rashi says from a Midrash, listen to what the Midrash says. Rashi says, when it says he commanded them regarding the Jews, He commanded Moshe and Aharon about the Jewish people to be patient and gentle with them. He commanded Moshe and Aaron regarding the Jewish people to be patient and gentle with them. Okay? And then it says, he, regard, he commanded them regarding Paro Melech Mitzrayim. Tzivem alav, says Rashi, from the Midrash. Tzivem alav lachlok lo kavod bedivrehem. He commanded Moshe and Aaron to apportion honor towards Paro with their words. So meaning he said, speak respectfully towards Paro. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Moshe and Aharon. Okay? So, again, let's just go through. Moshe comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and complains, I was unsuccessful. I made it worse. And what is Hashem's response to that? Deal with the Jewish people with patience. Speak respectfully towards Aharon. Okay? That's the story. Now we look at this and we say to ourselves, I don't understand. What's the purpose of this instruction? Hashem wants to tell him, there's a way you have to deal with the Jewish people. There's a way you need to deal with Paro, even though he's a Rasha, by the way. He's a Rasha. Right? He's refusing to let the Jewish people go at the request of Hashem. Still, you have to speak to him respectfully. When would be the appropriate time for this instruction? Now? After he's already gone and come back? Or in Shemot, when he originally instructs Moshe Rabbeinu, Regarding this shlichut, this mission, he should have told them, the Jews are going to be difficult, they're going to give you a hard time, but deal with them with patience. Paro, he's also going to refuse what you're saying. You still have to speak respectfully, he's a king. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu wait to give this direction now? After Moshe has, you could call, struggled or failed in his mission, comes back to Hashem, oh, you have to deal with the Jews with patience and speak respectfully towards Paro. This should have been included in Shemot, in the original directive, in the original instruction. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu wait till here to give this instruction? Okay. The Psokim go on over here, and they say the backstory of Moshe Rabbeinu. It goes through who were the children of Shevet Reuven, who were the children of Shimon, who were the children of Levi. So Rashi explains that the reason it goes through the backstory right after, listen to Rashi, since it wanted to tell us the Yichus, the ancestry of Moshe Rabbeinu, it wanted to tell us the backstory, the uh, resume of Moshe and Aharon. So therefore it started from the beginning of the tribes, meaning it could have started with Shevet Levi, which is where Moshe and Aharon came from. But instead of starting from Levi, it started from Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, and it stops there. It doesn't go on to the other Shvatim. Only those first three. Rashi says another pshat, which is that these three tribes, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, were the three tribes that Yaakov, at the end of his life, spoke strongly against. He was upset at Reuven because he switched the beds. He was upset at Shimon and Levi because they killed out the city. We know Shechem and Chamo, we know the whole story. We know the story. So in order to show, nonetheless, these tribes were chashuv, they were significant, it lists the ancestry of those three tribes, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. But in the first shot, Rashi says, it wanted to tell us the resume of Moshe. 
the backstory of Moshe. So it could have just focused in on Levi, where Moshe comes from. But instead, it went back to Reuven because figured, start from the beginning. And then it stops after Levi when it lists Moshe and Aharon. Okay? Why is it telling us the resume of Moshe and Aharon? Why is it telling it to us? Why is that important? Why do we need to know the ancestry of Moshe and Aharon? What's the purpose of that? What would you say? Why is that relevant information? When they're going to sin, we'll know. Even simple, simple, simple pshat. No, no, no. Why, why, why does the Torah need to tell us the, the, the resume, the ancestry of Moshe and Aharon? Why is that important? Like we spoke last time. Simple, the, simple. Yeah, no, you're too complicated. What? Where do they come from? They're going to be the leaders of the Jewish people. Where do they come from? Okay, so Levi and his children. Okay, fine, fine. Where would be the appropriate place to give us their resume? No? What? In the beginning. This doesn't make any sense. What You introduce Moshe and Aaron by the snap. By the burning bush. Hashem speaks seven days trying to convince him. That's where it should have said. He accepts the mission. By the way, where does he come from? He's from Shevet Levi and his father was Amram. His mother was Yochev. Now what do we wait for? After he goes to Egypt and he struggles and the Jews kick him out and Paro doesn't listen and all. Then he comes in. Oh, suddenly we get to the backstory here. Where does Moshe Rabbeinu come from? It doesn't list any of this in Shemot. Suddenly now the Torah says, well, it's very important to know where he comes from. So in order that you know that, the Torah says, he's from Levi. Okay, Levi, so you say Reuven and Shimon. This seems to be, again, a similar question. This seems to be delaying information that really should have been listed earlier. So just to recap for a second. Firstly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu now commands Moshe to deal patiently with the Jewish people. Calm, gentle with them. He commands Moshe and Aaron, speak respectfully to Paro. Commands, it's Rashi, that logically should have been information that was told in the beginning. You're going to go on a shlichut to redeem the Jewish people. You're going to deal with difficult Jewish people. I've always been difficult people. That's not a new concept. Deal patiently with them. You're going to deal with a king that disregards you. Speak respectfully towards him. We have to know who he is. So tell us the backstory. All of that information should have been said in Parashat Shemot. When he's introduced. Not waiting till Va'era, after he's already been the ruler, the leader of the Jewish people, he fails, he comes back, and then suddenly all this becomes relevant. Why does the Torah wait till here? Hashem only instructs him on these instructions and gives us the history, his tribe, his father, only after he fails. Why is that the opportune place to tell us this information? Everybody hears the question. Very simple question. So what do you want to say? Do you remember where he come from? How does that answer the question? When you downgrade or something, we are, we are good of, in judging. But we have to remember, it's still coming from ancestry of Yosef uh, and Yaakov and Abraham Avinu. And they also had some trials and, and struggles and they had to deal with until they were really able to accomplish what they accomplished to. So even though that they, after three days they were like, you know, super depressed and super annoyed uh, and actually it became even worse. Moshe said, Lama right, right. We have to remember 
So who is it for us to know? Who is it, who is it important to know this for? Well, first of all, it's, a, it's like a chizuk for Moshe Rabbeinu. Chizuk, okay, I hear that. And second of all, it's a reminder, it's like a wake up, a wake up calls for us. Especially for Am Israel when in such a low level. Beautiful. Everybody hear what Matan said? Matan saying, it's a chizuk for Moshe and Aharon because they might feel like they just failed. So as a chizuk, meaning it's a strengthening. You're from Levi, you're from, you have great lineage, you have respected ancestry. Chizuk for him. And also you're saying for the Jewish people. Means, yeah, what do you want to say? Give us some hope. Give us some hope. What do you say? What do you mean? What do you mean? I understand. Yeah, so? Oh, why not? Why not? <laughs> Make it easier for Moshe. Make it easier. Not only for Moshe, for the whole Right, so why? Why? Why make it so complicated? Right? Why make it so complicated? So I want to tell you something. Listen, the commentaries here learn that the reason his ancestry is listed here is because this is when he became a leader. This is when he became a leader. We have to understand why is this when he becomes a leader. Because logically speaking, at the Sneh, the burning bush, he accepted to be the leader, then he's a leader. But some of the Mepharshim, the Grizz actually, one of the, the Briskarov, one of the Mepharshim, or Shiv also has a Mahalach like this, that this is when he becomes a leader, and now that he's the leader, we have to give the backstory, like look at his resume. Why is this when he becomes, you'd say Shemot is when he becomes a leader. You say the beginning, the beginning, you get the job interview, right? That was a snack. That's when you should have seen the resume, the backstory. Oh. So I want to tell you two, really two different nekudot, two different points, but I think they're both very important ideas. I want to begin with a bit of a, my, my, a, a my own story, because I think this is a good illustration. You want to direct somebody, you want to give them instruction, right? Rebuke maybe, you want to help them, you want to give them some sort of an instruction, a directive. You want to help them, you want to tell them something, advice. Which type of advice is more accepted, is more absorbed? When the people are interested in hearing what you have to say or when they're not? Obviously, when they're interested, obviously, it's obvious. Now, okay, so we all understand logically if you have an opportunity to tell somebody a direction, you want to help them, you genuinely, genuinely want to help them. In order for that to be absorbed, to be kept and to help that person, they have to want to hear what you have to say. If they don't want to hear what you have to say... Open for offers. Well, what's that called, by the way? That's called unsolicited advice. <laughs> Nobody wants... 99.9% .9 of people have no interest in, in unsolicited advice. And I want to illustrate something. So one could say like this, unsolicited advice. Best case scenario, you tell somebody something, you genuinely want to help them, okay, could be. They don't want to hear what you have to say. Best case scenario, they brush it off and they disregard what you're saying. But actually, when it comes to this unsolicited advice, where they're not really open to hearing what you have to say, 
there actually could also be some very negative consequences as well. Now, what could be the negative consequence of giving advice to somebody when they're not interested and not ready to hear what you have to say? There's actually many. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you one illustration. Oh, Matan's right. I'm not going to go that direction, but it's true. If you give somebody rebuke, particularly something that's you know telling him off, and he doesn't want to hear what you have to say, you could push him farther away. That is true. But I want to give you a little story from my own life that I think really highlights potentially why it's not just a problem that they'll just push it off, but on top of that, it's actually possible that it'll cause more damage down the road. I want to explain. When I was in yeshiva, okay, we had a lot of classes on marriage. A lot of classes on marriage. Very often, meaning they were always through the lens of the Torah. Like, what's the Torah's perspective on... So, before I got married, I thought I was a a marriage counselor, man. I'm a marriage counselor, you know. I I got this on lock and key. Forget about it. I'm never going to get into a fight. I'm never going to have any stress. I'm never going to have any challenges. Bechule, bechule. Now, obviously, everybody around the table is looking at me and saying, that's, that's ridiculous. That makes, no, that makes no sense. Right, Mazal Tov Tachui, by the way, 40 years. It's coming up. Mazal Tov, big simcha. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But what's the problem? Listen to this. And I'm not blaming my yeshiva, chas v'shalom. If my mentor tells me all kinds of advice on marriage and every detail, etc., I can walk away after that thinking that I'm a professor in marriage. Okay, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is, then I get married, and then I realize, you know, I have no idea. I know theory, theory in marriage, I know, fine. But practical application for marriage, the difference between theory and application is the difference between day and night. Those are two, you could be very smart and intelligent and know a lot of stuff, but in practical application, you don't know what you're doing because you've never been there. So what's the issue? I could walk into marriage thinking that I'm, you know, I'm never going to have any fight. I'm never going to struggle. I'm never going to have any financial dish issues that cause friction, etc., etc. But then the moment something like that happens, I get all disappointed. I thought I had this thing under lock and key. And chas v'shalom, that could eventually cause very negative ramifications. So what's perhaps the better approach? You need to have instruction going into marriage. There has to be a mentor who tells you an introduction. There has to be a mentor who tells you this is what you should be careful for. But perhaps a better instruction would be give the general ideas. Give a sense that there's someone you could rely on if you have a challenge to talk to. And then when that fellow gets married and there's something he's struggling with, his mind is open to hearing what his mentor then has to say. In the struggle, not when it's all in theory, but in the struggle, when there's some challenge there already, the mind is open. Then he goes back to his mentor and says, okay, you taught me about the introductions, you taught me about the things that I know in general, but now I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. Now I'm open to hearing what you have to say. Can you please instruct me how I should resolve this conflict, this particular issue? And hopefully through that, in the heat of the moment, in the struggle, when it's practical, when it's something that's really relevant, then that instruction is actually heated and absorbed properly. Basically what I'm saying is, there's a total, it's a, it's, it's a difference between day and night if you just know stuff in theory and actually knowing too much information in theory could actually lead you to disappointment later 
because that's not something that's connected to reality. It's nothing to do with reality. Once it's part of reality, so then the instruction is actually really necessary and, and changes people's lives. Let's bring that back to here for a minute. I'm going to give you another example at the end, which I think comes very practical. Before Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Mitzrayim, right, he doesn't know what it means to deal with the difficult people. He was in, in Midian. He was a shepherd. It's true, by the way, he dealt with Datan and Aviram. They gave him a hard time. But he didn't deal with them as a leader. He didn't deal with them as the leader of the Jewish people. So he hasn't had practical experience in terms of dealing with the Jewish people as a leader. He doesn't know the struggle the Jews are going to give him. He doesn't know international relations, how he's going to have to deal with Paro. At that point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want to tell him about the fine details, about the fine issues he's going to deal with. Because at that time, he's not open-minded to the, the practical struggle in the sense that he'll have to undergo as the leader. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He says like this, Go to Mitzrayim, speak to the Jewish people, be the goel and redeem them from their slavery. So what does Moshe do? That's a general instruction. He goes there and he feels like he fails terribly. Because what happens? The Zkenim, the elders who were supposed to follow after him, disregard him. Paro makes it worse for them. He disregards me, Hashem. Who is Hashem that I'm going to listen to him? And the Jewish people at the end of the Pasha, Shemot, they kick him. They say, we want to have nothing to do with your redemption. Your redemption is, is uh, flawed. We don't want you. He's back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, Hashem, what am I supposed to do? I'm struggling. You sent me to be the Redeemer and I... Now, now is the time that he's dealing with a practical issue and his mind is open to hearing instruction from Hashem. So one second, let me just finish the point. So now is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is the time that the struggle is real. He's feeling the burn. This is the practical time that he needs direction. And now HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's true. The Jewish people are going to give you a hard time. They're going to be difficult. And they were for 40 years. And Paro, international relations, you're going to have to develop a system. Speak respectfully to Paro. Now those instructions become not just theory, but relevant, direct information. And now is the time that he will accept this direction, which we'll see in a moment, that he can absorb it into himself and change and become the real leader that we know he will be. You want to say, Shlomo? Exactly. Because the point is, he didn't struggle with it yet. That's the point. He needs to struggle so that then he's open-minded to really absorb it. It's practical. Now it's practical. When it's practical, when it's going to be put into practice, that's when he's really, he's, what's the word? He's, he's a recipient. That's the word. What's the good word? He's, uh, he's will, willing to accept. The point is now he understands he needs direction and now is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him this is what you need to do in terms of dealing with the difficult people. This is what you need to do in terms of dealing with international relations. The king who's giving you a hard time. That's what's necessary. Ready for shipment. That's right. What's the next step? Moshe Rabbeinu says, I know it's going to be difficult. The Jews are going to give me a hard time and they did for 40 years. Paro is going to give me a hard time and he did till the end. But despite that, I am going to be the Goel. I'm still going to persevere with my mission. That's when he becomes Moshe Rabbeinu. That's when he becomes the leader. And that's why, that's when his resume 
is put on display. And he's 79 years old. Beforehand, when he's speaking in Shemot, this is own theory. In theory, he doesn't know the struggle that he's going to have to deal with these uh, stubborn people. He doesn't know the struggle of dealing with international relations. Now he's struggling and Hashem gives him the instruction. It's going to be difficult, but you're going to do it. And he says, I will. Now is when he becomes the leader of the Jewish people. And since he's the leader, we need to know the backstory. So where is he from? He's from Levi. Okay, tell us, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, give us the ancestry. Back in Shemot, it was an instruction, you'll be the Goel. But he's not yet the leader as we know, because he hasn't struggled with the people and persevered to say he'll continue. Now he persevered and said he'll continue. This is the mark of a real leader. And now Moshe Rabbeinu is introduced with his backstory and resume. And there's two lessons that come from this idea, and I think they're very relevant lessons. Most of the time, if somebody doesn't ask you for advice, they don't want to hear what you have to say. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfect. They don't want to hear what you have to say. If somebody doesn't ask you for instruction, doesn't ask you for advice, they don't want to hear what you have to say. They do not want to hear what you have to say. Which means, if somebody does ask us for direction, that's the opportunity that we have to actually, hopefully, if we care for them and we actually know something that we could help them with, that's the time they're, they're, they're willing to be recipients of that information. They're willing to listen. They're willing to develop. Beforehand and after, they don't want to hear what you have to say. But in that moment, we have to utilize that opportunity to help them. Where is this strikingly important? My mother taught me this because my mother does such a great job of this. Very often with in-laws. It's a fascinating thing. Parents and in-laws, it's unbelievable. Not my parents, not my in-laws, I'm just saying. <laughs> my mother does a great job of this. Oh, Giving God, unsolicited direction. Getting involved in things that you shouldn't. Putting your nose where it doesn't belong. Not a healthy thing. Not a healthy thing. Because if they don't ask you for direction, they probably don't want to hear your musar, your rebuke, and your instruction. The moment that they do, we have to be very... Uh, well, willing and able to assist in whichever ways we can. But just to go and start giving our own chidushim, uh, what we, we think is right and wrong and not right and not wrong, they probably don't want to hear and you could create issues by getting involved in that way. My mother taught me that. She's fantastic. She stays out of it. She knows. And, we, and if we ask, she's always willing and able to assist. But not to give unsolicited advice. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Most of the time people don't want to hear what you have to say. And that's okay. Just something to be aware of. But we have the opportunity, we need to take that opportunity and help, because that's where they're willing recipients. And the other idea, which I think emerges unbelievable, is that's the mark of a leader. Moshe Rabbeinu is not a leader, he's not marked as a leader with his resume back in Shemot, when he refuses and finally accepts the mission. Because he hadn't felt the struggle of being a leader yet in that capacity. He goes to Mitzrayim. He speaks to Paro and he's kicked out. He speaks to the Jewish people and they push him away. And he comes back to Hashem, he says, this is, this is hard, this is very difficult. Hashem says, you will persevere and you're going to be successful. And he says, okay, I accept. That's the mark of a real leader. Not when it seems to be going easy and things are just simple. Things, no challenge associated with it. It's when they're giving you a hard time and you persevere, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's Moshe, the leader that we know, that we revere till today as the greatest Jew to ever live.
It's because he continued, he persevered, despite the challenge that the Jews gave him, that Paro gave him, and he accepted the Musar of Hashem. He accepted the direction, saying that he'll continue on. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu now is listed with his backstory, because this is really, this is the real job interview. He, pa he passed the interview. Now, now we need to know his resume, because he accepts the job in its entire state. Okay, we're going to stop here. Sat Hashem. Everyone have Shabbat Shalom. All the best.